Man, you worked hard on that piece of content. It's ready to go. You're so proud of it. You put it out there and nothing. SEO, Google, nobody pays any attention to it. Why is that? Well, in this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, I visit with Brian Dean of Backlinko. He is the authority. He tests this stuff. He does the research on it. And we talk about the, some of the ranking factors, the on-page ranking factors. It's really just a, a number of simple steps that you need to apply to every piece of content, every blog post that you put out there. Check it out. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Brian Dean. He is a digital marketing expert and founder of the SEO training blog, Black, not Black, Backlinko.com. So uh, repeat guest, thanks for coming back on, Brian. Hey, good to be here, John. And we'll have backlinko.com spelled the right way in the show notes. <laughs> Great. So, um, you know, before we dive into some uh, some SEO stuff, and I, I love that you are willing to come on semi-regular because this, some of this stuff changes, or at least people are talking about it differently. And so it's great to hear from you because uh, you, you do so much testing of, of a lot of this stuff. So I think what, when, when you... When you talk about something being needing to be done or new, then uh, it generally does. So tell me a little bit about living in Berlin. And, you know, that what has that done for business, personal life? You know, what's the scene like, you know, entrepreneur-wise? Yeah, so I think the best way to describe that is why I came here in the first place. Yeah. And at that point, which was almost three years ago now, which is crazy how time flies, is I was backpacking around. I had started Backlinko, but I, I was running it from the road, basically. I had this backpacker lifestyle that I had lived for literally years, and I was running black hat sites on the side and kind of freelance writing here and there, doing freelance SEO consulting, and I eventually realized, like, if you want to build something, you need to be in the same place. Yeah. And I realized, I, I literally was Googling online, like, best places to live in Europe, because I was in Europe at the time, and I wanted to stay here for a while. And Berlin just kept coming up. And when I came here, I loved it. It's it's very cool. The best way to describe Berlin is like it's like Brooklyn, like the whole city's Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's very like a lot of nice neighborhoods with trees. It's small. It's not busy. There aren't a lot of cars or people. Even though it's a capital city, it's one of those cities like Boston, right? Even though it feels much smaller than Boston, it has more people than Boston, but it feels a lot smaller. But like Boston, I mean, it's not that big of a city. It has a big influence, yeah. but it's not a big city. If you go there, there's not much to it, and there's not many people there. Yeah. It's similar to that, but even quieter and even smaller. But it has a lot of the good big city things that you want in a city, right? Like, like a lot of events, cultural things, uh, conferences networking events is a big startup scene here so it's impacted my business in a couple ways one is that like uh just by being here i i don't have so many temptations to to hit the road and go to every event under the sun um there are some there are plenty in europe but it's a little bit harder to get there a lot of times or logistically a bit more challenging to go to like romania where i went last year to speak at a conference so i just tend to stay no more often which is good because then i can focus on my work on the other hand every time i go to a conference i do love it so <laughs> i'm kind of on the fence about that but in terms of affecting my business you know in 2017 you know networking with people in person is great but it's not that 
big of a deal. Plus, this is a hub. Like literally yesterday, I had lunch with the founder, uh, Omar. Do you know Omar from Webinar Ninja? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I had lunch with him yesterday. He was in town. So, you know, a lot of people pop through here and you just catch them or yeah. you you go somewhere. So I think it's – I really like it here. All right. So you kind of hinted about, you know, how you backed into this business. But uh, how did you really get started in SEO? Because, I again, you can talk about your, your bio, but it, it certainly doesn't show that as being the path to SEO. No, I wouldn't recommend this path at all. It was a really long, hard journey to get to where I'm at today. If you just follow my advice now, and obviously your advice, John, on your blog, it, it shortcuts a lot of the, the lessons I had to learn the hard way. And how it really started was I was really into this whole four-hour work week lifestyle, passive income. I was all about that stuff. So when I read online, you know, how do you make passive income? How do you make money on the internet? Things like that. At the time, the big thing was to create these small little websites and rank them in Google. And I thought this sounded great. This was perfect. So I did that. And of course, when you create these one-page websites that are all optimized around one keyword and they don't provide any value, you have to use Black Hat SEO to rank them. So I became someone who just used exclusively Black Hat. But the problem was Google kept changing the algorithm to make every Black Hat strategy I was using and others were using not work. And eventually I got fed up with that and decided to try White Hat with a client of mine and it worked well. So then I launched another site. This time it was actually using White Hat SEO to rank it and it did really well. And that's when I decided to start Backlinko because I looked online for other strategies that were White Hat but I couldn't find anything. You know, it was like everything was very vague, like write great content or update your blog all the time. But there wasn't really anything actionable versus the Black Hat scene where there was tons of actionable stuff. So I decided to create Backlinko to fill that need. I figured there are other people like me. So I went out there and created a blog that filled that need, at least for me and probably others too. And it turned out in that case, I was right. Yeah, and in a very short period of time, relative, um, it's become certainly one of the top, you know, SEO destinations, you know, traffic-wise and and content-wise. So, congratulations to you on that. Thanks, John. So, let's go back even farther. Um, reading in your bio, um, you were studying to be maybe in the medical field or a professor. <laughs> um, and one of the things I find interesting about that is, um, I think you talked somewhere. I saw you talk about. Uh, you know, doing clinical trials and, you know, experiments. And, you know, I think that in some ways that's a great SEO background because I think in a lot of ways your writing is all about experiments. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, I studied nutrition in college and I got a master's and I started a PhD. And as I was getting my master's, I worked in a lab at Tufts University in Boston. And then at, for my PhD, which I ended up quitting because I hated it, but I did do a year running, running a research study at Purdue in Indiana. So I had tons of research experience while I was a student and I was also working at hospitals on the side as a dietitian. So yeah, the when you study any science, the it's all about data and you take statistics courses. And when you get into the marketing world, you realize that it's a lot of like guesswork and uh, you know people saying that this works without a lot of data and and some of that is just inevitable it's part of marketing there's, there's not going to be data for everything but there's so little of it and when you have that mentality of like well I'm just going to test this stuff and figure out what works and uh, with data with experiments you can get a lot further ahead versus just listening blindly to what other people say and a good example of that is when I started the blog. 
I decided I was going to publish a new post every week because that's what I read. You had to do to grow a blog. Like there was, I, I didn't find any advice that said anything different. It was like a hundred percent of the blogging experts saying you have to post every week. And I actually th- do think there's some value in posting regularly, but it's not an absolute requirement. So I started doing it every week and I wasn't getting any traction. I was publishing posts every week that were good. And my traffic was growing very, very slowly. And I said, well, what if I didn't publish every week? Instead, I'll test for two months just publishing one post a month, but kind of combining the four posts that I published over the month into one. And that worked a lot better. But I would have never read that anywhere because no one was talking about that. It had to be done through experimentation. And that's probably something that has evolved because I, I do know in the early days of blogging, uh, volume, even if it was 300 word posts, you know, Google liked that. Um, they no longer like that. <laughs> and uh, so I think that I think that that's I think that's a change in how we've kind of evolved in content marketing. Um, yeah, that's true, John. Uh, totally, that that was the case. Google yeah. loved it. Users loved it because yeah. there wasn't that much content online, right? Yeah, right? I remember reading your book, Duct Tape Marketing, back in the, the the first one back in the day, and you talked about that. Yeah, you know yeah. what blogging was, and and at the time, people just the content world was different. Forget yeah. Google for a second. I mean, just people. The idea that a site updated once a day was mind blowing. Yep. You know, <laughs> and and it was actually a huge benefit for doing that versus if you publish once a month, it actually wouldn't work that well. But a lot of the times when you read this advice, it you know no one went back and updated the post and said, wait a second, this isn't as important anymore. Um, and then when it comes to SEO, like you said, John, you know, Google doesn't like that anymore. Yeah. Of course, if you publish regularly, it's not bad. Yeah. But they definitely don't say, hey, that site's great because it's publishing all the time like they used to. Yeah, and I, I mean you look at sites like Mashable that publish, you know, I don't know how many, 20 or 30 posts a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think what happens is a lot of people look at that and go, oh, well, that's what we need to be doing. But, you know, they, they sort of forget that they have totally different objectives in their business than a site like Mashable. Right. So – in the world of SEO today, you know, you again talking about like the experts and what people say. I mean, there certainly are kind of fundamental, tried and true elements. You've got to do on page. You've got to get links back to your site. You you know, you have to do keyword research in order to know you know what to write about. Some of those you know, obviously, all the stuff people you know throw into the soup of SEO. Is there a kind of hierarchy of stuff? I mean, there's so many people out there saying, okay, I, I want to do this myself. I've only got so much time, you know, is there kind of a hierarchy of what's the most important? And I know this is an unfair question, but you know, what's the most important sort of elements to start on? Excuse me. Yeah, that's a tough one, but, um, it's, there is a, there's definitely a hierarchy like anything. I mean, it's like, if you're going to create a product, you know, you wouldn't be like the most important thing is the packaging. (laughs) Yeah. You wouldn't want to start there. And just like with SEO, you wouldn't want to start with, messing around with your URLs and title tags and things before you have the fundamentals right. And I think if I had to say, okay, the number one thing to start with before you start with a blog, before you start content marketing or SEO, it would be positioning of your blog. So this is definitely more of a branding thing, but it definitely it relates to SEO as we'll see in a minute. So you know, one thing to realize if you're starting a blog or you're going to go back and, and restart your blog, which a lot of people do after it doesn't work the first time, is think about what makes your blog different than all the other blogs out there on your topic. And no matter what industry you're in, there are probably 50, 100, maybe 1,000 blogs on your topic, maybe more. And what makes yours different? And the reason that's important is for two reasons. One, 
is that it helps you get positioning in the market. So for example, when uh, Steve Cam started Nerd Fitness uh, way back, I don't know, maybe 2009, at the time, all these fitness blogs were about, you know, you need to work out 50 hours a week. You need to, you know, go to the gym till you puke. And it was this like muscle head mentality. But there are tons of guys, nerdy guys, that also wanted to get fit and they couldn't relate to that stuff. So Steve's positioning was, hey, my blog is for you. You know, you're a nerd, but you want to stay fit and I'm going to teach you. And all his stuff has like Dungeons and Dragons references and comic book references. And that positioning helped him stand out. And helped him get links and the other stuff that helps with rankings. It also helps inform what you're going to write about. So, for example, you know, with Duct Tape Marketing Blog, you're all about actionable little like tips and hacks, similar to Backlinko. You know, you're all about these like things that people can do right away. Right. And when you know that, everything you post, you're going to have that in mind. And if you're not sure about a piece of content, you think, well, does this fit with what we're doing? And if not then you won't do it. And if it does, you can go forward with it. And that helps a lot when you're first starting out because if you're starting out just saying, hey, I'm going to create a blog, put out great content and see what happens, it's not going to go as well as if you're really strategic with your positioning and what your blog is all about. Yeah, and that, you know, quite frankly, that's just basic business strategy, um, you know, no matter what you're trying to do. Um, back when I started Duct Tape Marketing Blog, I mean, there just weren't that many blogs. And so that was, in some ways, that was unique positioning. Yeah. But uh, but now, of course, you know, the more competitive your market is, the, the I think what you just suggested is is paramount. Right, yeah. So that I think that's the first thing. And then from there... I would go I would start with keyword research actually. When you're coming up with these topics, I I'm not a fan of a lot of people what they do is they come up with a topic and then they try to find a keyword that fits with that topic of what you're going to write about. And that can actually work, but I prefer working backwards and finding keywords first and then turning those into topics because when you find a keyword you know there's proven demand around your topic and then all you have to do is create the best result for that keyword, which is a lot easier than just coming up with topics out of thin air sure. and then trying to finagle a keyword later on. Yeah, boy, there's so, so many uh, tools available to us uh, today, too, that uh, that I think really make that. It's almost like you can you can determine intent, you know, instead of, you know, of, of people that are out there searching. And uh, and that, to me, is kind of raised SEO to the strategic level. I mean, the, the days when people would build a website, then they'd find somebody to write some content, and then they'd go SEO it, um, I think are really over. I think those things have to be done you know, at the strategic level before you ever start doing anything. Yeah, right. And, and the problem is there's, it's, you know, it's not the most interesting like, advice. It's not a hack. So you know, <laughs> right, it, right. it doesn't get a lot of press. That whole approach, like you said, being strategic, even though I think if you skip that step, it's going to be really hard to succeed in today's world because there's just so many blogs, so many people doing content marketing. It's just incredibly hard to stand out. But when you have that positioning, uh, it just makes your life a whole lot easier. And like you said, with keyword research, there's so many tools now. If you find the right keywords, it also makes your job a lot easier. So, um, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned when we were live, you, you write so much practical content, you're videoing a lot of that, giving people kind of step-by-step, here's what I found, and here's the research that proves this, um, which is, again, one of the things I really appreciate. But uh, you recently did something, and I may get the title wrong, but basically listed kind of the on-page ranking factors. And so those, of course, are the 
the things on on the page that you own, the HTML, you know, code, the structure, the words you use, you know, on your actual um, pages. And so I wonder if we could kind of pick that apart a little bit. We probably won't have time to to do the entire thing, and we'll have a link to your video uh, in the show notes. But uh, there are a lot of people that are that are kind of saying that stuff doesn't matter so much. Whereas, you know, optimizing keywords on your, you know, metadata used to be like a hack <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that people have said, oh, it's so important. How, how do you view, like, let's say we've written something that, you know, we did our keyword research, we, we know it's a good topic, we've written a post, you know, how would you then uh, uh, advise somebody to go through and look at the ways to make sure they're getting the most out of that from the, the on-page factors? So the first thing I would do is write your title that has your keyword in it. Like that's the most basic, but it's also really important to have your keyword in your title tag. But while you're on your title tag, there's another step that I've been using lately that makes a big difference. And that's making sure your title tag is compelling for people to click on. Right. So I used to just write titles and if I had my keyword in it and it sounded pretty good, it was good to go. And I actually focused a lot more on like the WordPress title, which can be a lot longer. And my title tag, if it got cut off because it was too long or I was like, well, whatever, has my keyword in it, it's fine. And that's totally changed now because now Google really pays attention to how people interact with their search results. So if someone searches for your keyword and they're clicking on every result but yours – you know, Google's like, man, this probably isn't a really good result, even though it has all those traditional factors like links, your keywords on the page, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. You know, the users have great data for them and they're not going to ignore it. So when they see that, they'll drop you like a stone. I've seen it happen a lot. So in addition to creating a title that has your keyword in it, you definitely want to think, okay, someone's searching for this keyword, like you mentioned before, John, intent. What do they want to see? And if you can put that in your title, you get a lot more clicks. Now, it's a ranking factor for sure. If people, a lot of people click on your result, you can get higher rankings. But even if that wasn't the case, even if you just stayed where you were, you just get more traffic from the same spot. You actually don't have to move up in the rankings. Yeah. So if you double your click-through rate, you double your traffic for that keyword without having to move from three to one. It's, um, it's so almost, it's a great little hack. It's almost like subject lines in email. You know, it's, it's, like that, it's like that's the ad for why you should come read the rest of this. Exactly. And it was seen uh, by me. I made this mistake, too, as just an SEO thing, your mm-hmm. title tag. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a meta tag. It's in your you, you see it as something in your HTML, like only kind of a robot will ever see it. When in reality, humans see it all the time in the search results and what they see can make or break where they click on your result. And now because Google is paying so much attention to that, that's really important. Well, what is um, how, how does that relate to the, uh, and sometimes we get these terms confused, but the headline of your blog post, right? That's the thing that people see when they go on the page. Um, how, do, how does that and the title relate in terms of a strategy? Uh, it's the headline isn't as important for SEO. So it like, it does depend a lot on how your blog is set up, but in most cases, the title tag is the title of the page itself. And then the title of the headline, as you put it, which is actually more accurate than title is usually wrapped in an H one tag underneath that. And that's kind of like your second headline. Google is paying less and less attention to, to H tags and things like that. But um, you do also want your keyword in that title if possible. Basically, your title, your headline, I should say, <laughs> is kind of like the you have all the room in the world, so make it long. You know, my titles are always like super long. They include percentages and parentheses and all this stuff because I have room for it. Your title tag, you're limited by the number of pixels that it displays. Yeah. So it's you can't do as much there. Yeah. But with your headline, you can go crazy. And so as long as you have your keyword in there, 
that's just good for Google because they see, okay, it's in the title, it's also in the headline, and then as they move through the page and they see it again and again, it helps them understand what your page is all about. Yeah, and I guess the I, I, I advise people to think about the headline as, as sort of clickbait in social media too. I mean, it's the thing that, that is probably going to show if somebody shares in social media, and, and so that's a, you know, that's a nice thing for getting click-throughs that way. Hey, thanks for listening to the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. If you like this one, you might also like my other podcast, The Consulting Spark, where I interview independent marketing consultants and agency owners and talk about how they built their business and the struggles they face and what they love about being in this business. So you can check it out at ducttapemarketingconsultant.com. The make the URL as short as possible is one of the steps that you had on uh, on this uh, checklist, and and that runs a little bit counter, I think, to what people had been doing. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't recommend necessarily making it as short as possible, because then you know you could make it actually too short. And and what I've been doing is, what well, let's just put it this way: when I first started blogging, before I even started Backlinko, I would just make my title the URL, which is by default, what WordPress does a lot of times, and and a lot of other CMS softwares, uh, blogging software does that a lot. So if your you know your title is like ten ways to get a better open rate on your emails, you know the URL would be like ten dash ways dash blah blah blah. And this isn't a huge deal, but I noticed that it makes a small difference. I don't know whether it's just because Google prefers that or if users prefer that because it goes back to what we said about the click through rate of your results. You know if you have a long URL. When you search for a keyword in Google and you see a long URL, you're really not going to read it versus a page. For example, if you search for like email open rates and you see ducttapemarketing.com forward slash email dash open dash rates, you know instantly what that's about. Um, And also I noticed lately Google has actually been automatically shortening long URLs in the search results. So they'll take kind of like what the page is all about and use that as the URL. I've seen it a couple of times. I haven't been able to replicate it 100%. But basically they won't show the whole URL. They'll just show like the domain name slash and then they'll put their own thing in there almost like a category. Like sometimes they show categories with e-commerce sites. They'll show that now. And that says to me that they really don't like long URLs and users don't like long URLs. So they don't want to show them to them because people – Yep, they know what people like in the search results. So when they sh- when they do something like that, it sends a strong message, at least to me, that says, "Man, I should really shorten my URLs to make sure that they're short and sweet and have my keyword." So let's get really geeky and talk about LSI. Okay, so LSI is super geeky because <laughs> it actually predates search engines. <laughs> It came about with old library information retrieval tools. So before there was Google or even Yahoo, you know, there was like intranet library information sciences programs that you'd search for a book at a library, right? And they weren't very sophisticated, but they quickly realized that, you know, if you search for a keyword like cars, Uh, It's somewhat ambiguous what the searcher wants to see, right? It could be Cars, the vehicle, Cars, the movie. It could be Cars, the rock band. 
It also stands for Canadian Aviation Regulations. So just when someone types in something like cars, it's really hard to know what every page in the results. Are they talking about the cars, the vehicle, or cars, whatever, all the other cars? And they use something called LSI keywords to figure that out, which are known as, that stands for Latent Semantic Indexing. And basically, it's not really synonyms. A lot of people describe it as synonyms, but it's not really that. It's more like words that are associated with your keyword. So for example, if your keyword was the Simpsons, you'd have LSI keywords would be like Marge, Bart, Homer, and Mr. Burns and Springfield, right? So when when you put the word Springfield in a, in a blog post, they don't really have any context to understand if you're talking about Springfield, Massachusetts, or Springfield's from the Simpsons. But when they see these LSI keywords like Homer and Bart, they understand that it's about the Simpsons, and it helps them understand the context of what your page is about. Well, and the beauty of all of this is even though it's really geeky, uh, Google has handed us a bit of a gift, haven't they, for actually figuring out what these related terms are. They have. I don't think it's on purpose. I actually don't know why they keep that feature around I'm about to describe because I don't know anyone that uses it. But when you search for a keyword and you scroll to the bottom, there's a section called searches related to. And it basically shows you your keyword plus other terms that people tend to use when they search for that keyword. And most of the times, these are LSI keywords. So, you know, if you search for like on page SEO, for example, some of the keywords they'll show are like on page SEO checklist. And they literally bold the word checklist. So all you need to do is, is no, okay, that's an LSI keyword, and then go back to your content and sprinkle those in where they make sense. One of the other things that you um, talk about is is the idea of internal links and external links being part of it. And I, I know you know some people are scared to send people away. Some people, you know, I remember I used to always internally link because I was hopeful that somebody would come and say, "Oh, now I'm going to go read this page too." <laughs> so, uh, how do those play today's you know on page ranking? Well, I would say they're they're in like the kind of important category. You know, they're, they're not a huge deal, but they definitely can make a difference. Now, external links, are internal links, pretty much everyone agrees, even Google has confirmed that they can help with your SEO, and they recommend that you internal link between your pages to help them understand what your pages are yeah. all about. So when you link between pages, it helps them understand, okay, these are all about related topics, and it helps them understand the context of those pages. But external links have been controversial. There's been a lot of people say they don't use them. A lot of people say they do use them. A lot of people say, well, they only use them if you if you outward link to authority sites. Mm -hmm. And I've always been in the camp that it's one of those things that can't hurt you and it can only help you. You know, uh, it, maybe you'll lose a couple of visitors here and there, which is a legitimate concern. But for every one visitor you lose with the external link, you'll probably gain five or ten from the increased SEO rankings. Well, and I've always felt like it was a better user experience, potentially. And in other words, if I'm writing about one of these topics that we're talking about today, and I know that Brian's got this 10,000-word monster post that really explains it, um, you know, a lot of times I feel like that's a better user experience for me to link to that to say, hey, if you really want to go deep on here, go check this out. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of times with SEO, it's easy to overthink it. And then yeah. when you take a step back, you realize like most of it is just creating a good user experience. Yeah. 
And sure. like, if you do that, you're probably going to be in good shape. <laughs> and yeah. external links is definitely one of those cases. I can't, I can't imagine writing a good, a good piece without it having yeah. external links. It's impossible to cover everything in your own post. It's like inevitable that you link out unless you're purposely trying not to. Right, right. And you, you know, you find data that you can link to and research stuff. So I, mean, I just think there's a lot of, you know, the hope I ha- always had was that people would come to my site because they knew I would help them find the really good stuff too. <laughs> so that was kind right. of my hope. So um, tell me what you're working on these days uh, as we wrap up. Uh, where Not only where can people find more about you, but uh, what, uh, what, what kind of new uh, training and whatnot have you uh, been launching? So I'm really big into YouTube right now. So I, like most people with YouTube, I thought it was cool. I heard it's cool. I heard the video is the next big thing. So I published a couple of videos and no one watched them. And and I gave up. So that, that seems to be the story of most. I'm glad I'm not alone there. As I talk to more people, I realize that's most people's experience with YouTube. And um, so I realized that... Um, I didn't know what I was doing. So when I went to read YouTube advice, it was kind of like when I read blogging advice. There was some good stuff in there, but it was a lot of misguided information too. But I took the stuff that seemed to make sense for me and tried it again, and that didn't work either. So I decided to go all experimental mode, and that's where I started just creating different combinations, different styles of videos, different combinations of styles from different people that I follow, different formats, different optimization techniques with titles, description, and tags, thumbnails, everything I could test. And I eventually figured out pretty much a system that works well for creating YouTube videos that get views and do well in YouTube rankings, which is huge for getting views. And so I've been really into YouTube lately. It's really great, really fun, and it's a huge untapped source of, I wouldn't say traffic because not tons of people, you know, flood to your site from YouTube, but for advertising. It's a good top of the funnel activity. So I've been working a lot on that and I have a new training course coming out uh, called First Page Videos that's all about YouTube SEO. So you're suggesting that um, advertising on YouTube um, is what you're suggesting or? No, no, it's more of an analogy. Sorry, there is advertising. I I, I got you. Okay, okay. yeah, that's. I I meant in the sense that, you know, it's not like a guest post where someone will read it, think it's great and click over to you. That does happen, but it's not that much. So most people, it's a good top of the funnel thing. I would look at it more like advertising, like a TV ad. You know, are a ton of people going to convert after a TV ad? Some will. But that's definitely not the main goal with YouTube. It's to get exposure. And then after people watch a couple of videos, then they'll come over and learn more about you and subscribe to your newsletter and buy your stuff. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we're, when, I assume you'll be announcing this on Backlinko uh, when it's uh, available? Yeah, to the, only to the email list. So if you want to find out about this new course and get other SEO tips that I only share with subscribers, I would head over to backlinko.com and sign up for the newsletter. Awesome. Well, Brian, always great to, to catch up with you. Hopefully, if you're in the States sometime or I'm in Berlin, uh, we can uh, grab a – what do people grab in Berlin? Not a croissant. <laughs> a kebab. Come on, there we go. All right, good. Thanks so much. Cheers, John. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks.